Now let me start recording. Okay, so we have a very, very interesting Torah portion. Normally Debbie's read ahead and she's read it all and she's probably got a bunch of questions as well. And Marty always has a couple of interesting questions. So uh, what I'm going to do is just to catch everybody else up, I'm going to just read a summary of the Torah portion and then we... We're going to have a little bit of a discussion, and then I'll open up for questions maybe at 3.30. So, um, okay, so this, this Torah portion is called chukas or chukat. Chukas means law, but a particular kind of a law in this context, a law that doesn't have a rational explanation, a mitzvah that doesn't have a rational explanation. And what are we referring to? We're referring to, referring to something called the para aduma. So let me just read, let me just read what it says. Para aduma is the red heifer. Par is a cow or bull. Adom is red. Para aduma is the red bull. Right, that's the original red bull. That's probably where they got it from. Okay, so we are in the middle of the book of Numbers of Bamidbar in the desert. Uh, I'm going to tell you an amazing uh, idea that I heard this morning from Rema Friend, but let me just give you a summary and then uh, catch everyone up to Debu's red ahead. So, so they're wandering in the desert for their 38th year. So the end of the 38th year and the laws of the red heifer are stated. It was burnt with cedar wood, hyssop and scarlet thread. The ashes were used in a purification ceremony for anyone who'd come in contact with a dead person. So in the times of the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, in the times of the temple, when somebody touched a dead person, uh, they became ritually impure. They had what's called tumor. And in order for them to become pure again, they had to have these ashes uh, sprinkled on them. But what's strange about it is all those people who were involved in making the ashes, they became impure. But the ones who were sprinkled became pure. And it's an example of a mitzvah that just does not make sense. And we have to do this mitzvah like we do all the other mitzvahs because God told us he was the one that decreed them even if we don't understand them, they're for our benefit, just like keeping, you know, um, the laws of uh, being honest and not stealing and not, you know, cheating and being loyal to your, you know, and respecting your parents. Those ones we can understand, but really, ultimately, we have to know that all the mitzvahs are for our benefit, even if we don't understand why. So that's the first part. And one of the areas that we have a difficulty understanding. But then there's other parts, a very, very famous, maybe one of the most famous um, uh, pieces in the, in the Torah coming up. Miriam, that's Moshe's sister, she dies. And there was, I don't know if you knew this, but there was a, um, a well of water that used to travel with them as they traveled through the desert. Marty, did you know that? There was a portable well that traveled with the Jews in the desert, miraculously giving them water wherever they traveled. And it gave water in the merit of Miriam, whatever that means, in the merit of Miriam, who was this holy person who actually saved Moshe when he was thrown into the Nile. Uh, and... In her merit, this well used to provide water. When she died, the water stopped, and the people started complaining. Uh, and Hashem tells Moshe to speak to the rock for water. And instead of speaking to the rock, what does he do? He hits the rock. And water comes out, but Hashem says, because you hit the rock and you didn't speak to the rock. Like I said, both you and Aaron are not going to go into Israel, uh, which is something 
that at first glance seems, you know, too much, too much of a punishment for all the good things that Aaron and Moshe had done. And one small thing that he hit the rock instead of he spoke to the rock, what exactly was, was wrong with, uh, with that? Um, now, so a short time after Aaron dies and his son, Elazar is appointed the new high priest. And then there's a series of attacks. The Canaanite king of Arad attacks them and is defeated. There's another people that they, they were trying to go through their land and they were prevented. They had to turn back. But then there's another rebellion over food and water. So this is the second rebellion. And, and we've been reading about rebellions last week. We read about Korach. Week before we read about um, Shlach, the, the, the spies. Uh, so something fascinating happens. This time when they rebel over food and water, there's a plague of poisonous snakes that kill a whole bunch of people. And they come to Moshe and they're asking to pray for them. And he prays for them. And how, what does Hashem say? Hashem says, take a staff, make a staff with a, a snake on it. And if you look at, this, at the snake on the staff, then you will live. And, they, and that's what happened. The people looked at the staff with the snake on and they lived. And if you look at, I mean, maybe you've wondered why. Have you ever wondered, I don't know what it's called exactly, but the worldwide symbol for doctors is a staff with a snake on it. Now you know where it comes from. It comes from the Bible in Bamidbar in this week's Torah portion. Um, and, and then uh, the other incidents where the, the Jews are in contact with some other nations. But those are the, those are the three main uh, episodes in the Torah. Just again to repeat, there's um, the, the red heifer, which is very difficult to understand because uh, the people who get pure, the, the people who sprinkle the water and those who, are, who work with it become impure and the people who get sprinkled, they become pure. Uh, and, I th and then we have the story of Moses hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock and being punished by saying, he can't go into Israel and Aaron dies. And uh, in fact, in the merit of Aaron, the Jews used to have the clouds of glory that protected them. And that's one of the reasons why when the clouds disappeared, when Aaron died, that the, these other nations started attacking them. Uh, and then we have the story of them, of the Jews complaining and a plague of snakes and Moses speaks to Hashem. Hashem says, make a staff with a snake on it. And if you look at it, the plague's going to stop, which is pretty remarkable. Now, just, just to speak a little bit about that last, that last piece, it doesn't mean that just by simply looking at the snake, you're gonna, the plague's going to go away. What it means is you look at the snake and you think of Hashem and you do Teshuvah. You repent. Hashem's not going to stop a plague unless we, you know, realize our mistakes and we correct them. And a lot of rabbis, just making this a little bit more current, a lot of rabbis have said that we can't come out of this pandemic. We can't come out of this pandemic uh, and think that it's all over now. We can just get back to you know, to our normal uh, life as if nothing happened. Um, so what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to think of Hashem, do Teshuvah, and then get back to our lives. We, we, we don't know why God brought this, and we don't know why so many people died and how it was that we were able to get the vaccination so quickly and why there are still some people who don't have it. And those, those things we don't know. We're not, we don't have prophets in the world today. But what we can do, and the Rambam says, the Rambam says that anytime there's any tragedy, 
that we hear about, whether it's something as big as this or even something on a smaller scale, then we should be doing Teshuvah and we should be turning to Hashem to, to improve our ways. And that's why a lot of people have taken on uh, things like learning more Torah or um, you know, not speaking Lash and Horror or giving more tzedakah or just being more careful in, uh, in some area where they felt they were weak in because they realized that they have to do something. They can't. Now, we've, I would say that this group of people, we have done something about this. We've used our time to start learning some more Torah. That's a very, very valuable thing. But now as we come out of this, we can't slow down. We have to, we have to keep on, on learning Torah and, and keep on finding new ways to do, to do more. Um, so that's the idea behind the snake. Uh, it was it, also the idea, uh, which I heard is that uh, the snake was the cause of the problem. So why did Moses make a snake? How did, how, what, what was the symbolic? And not only that, he made a copper snake. And the word for, do you know what the word for a snake in Hebrew is? Word for a snake in Hebrew is nachash. And the word for, for copper in Hebrew is nechoshet, which is very, very similar. So that, there's probably a Kabbalistic reason behind it. But the idea is that, that Moshe was saying, or, or Hashem was saying to Moshe to make a snake, a staff with a snake on, to say that the very cause of the problem, the snakes, is also the, the cure. And that as, as much as that doesn't make sense, we have to know that all the things that cure us come from Hashem. You know, there's a line in the Talmud that says, even the very best doctors go to Gehenna or go to hell. Because um, Judaism does believe in a concept of a purification after death. And the idea is that it's very, very difficult for a doctor when he goes and studies for seven years in medical school, and then he studies to become a specialist, and he goes to conferences, and he, and he does all this hard work. It's very hard for him to admit that when he goes into the operating room, that it's completely out of his hands. It's complete. He's got absolutely no control over the success of, he can do his best that he can. And you have to go to the best specialist and you can't just say, well, God's going to save me. There are some people who, not Jewish people, there are groups of people who say they will not go to a doctor. There is a verse in the Torah that says you have to go to a doctor, but a doctor has to know. And there's actually a prayer. There's a prayer from doctors. You know, that line in the Talmud is for from doctors. But it's a very, very big challenge, very big challenge to the same way someone who becomes very wealthy and makes money on the stock market or very successful in business. Very hard for him to say, you know what, uh, you know, it was all God. It, was no, it had nothing to do with me. We have to, we have to say, no, we, we were given certain strengths and we were given certain opportunities, but there are some people who are very smart, even smarter than us, that also were given opportunities that didn't make money. Or there were doctors that tried their best, they were smarter than me, and they weren't successful. That's the, that's the attitude. That's one of the lessons. But I want to share with you something from Rabbi Friend, which I heard today. He said something fascinating. So I mentioned to you that, I mentioned to you that this week we have the people complaining that there's no water. And Moses hits the rock. Then they complain again about the food and the water, and he, and they have the plague. Last week we had the rebellion of Korah, and the week before we had uh, Shlach, which were the spies, and they complained about you know Israel and how difficult. And even the week before we had the, remember we spoke about um, the they complained. And the book of Numbers was really divided into three because they wanted to divide the complaints into two. So they, you had these inverted nuns. So there's lots and lots of complaining. So our friend says there was a, a, a student of the, the Gera Rebbe. The Gera, Gera is a very famous Hasidic group from a town called Gur. They, they uh, might even be the biggest 
They might be the biggest in the world. Um, Ger and Bells and Chabad is big, but they're not nearly as big as Ger or Satma, I think, might be even might be even bigger. Than but someone came to the Ger Rebbe uh, this time of the year, and he said, you know, I always get depressed in the summer. I'm always sad in the summer. And uh, it's not because of the heat and the humidity. He said, I always get depressed because I read the Torah portions and there's always all these complaints. Everybody's complaining all the time. And it's very depressing. You know, it's not nice being around people who complain all the time. So uh, I'm not sure if the Gerarebi answered this person, but our friend said that I mentioned right when I was when I was saying this in the beginning, when I was reading out the, the summary of the Torah portion, this actually takes place in the 38th year of them wandering in the desert, not in the first two or three years. The first two, three years, that was when we had the, the complaints about uh, the spires and, and the complaints about the man, the manna that fell from heaven. That took place in the first two years. Then, for the next 36 years, there was nothing. There was, there's, we don't read anything in the Torah. There's no description. Nothing happened. Now, what does it mean nothing happened? This is also a fascinating lesson just in the Torah altogether. There must have been something that happened, right? You don't, let's say you're writing a history of a country or something or uh, a city or a person. You don't just skip 36 years. You know, something must have happened. <clears throat> so two things. Number one, is the Torah is not a history book. It's not telling us the history because it records certain things that don't seem to be worthy of being mentioned. You know, what sometimes what people think, some of what our enemies have to say, you know, uh, conversations that are repeated of a slave that went to get a, a, a bride for, you know, for Yitzchak. Uh, and then there seems to be major things that are left out. The Torah is a guide to life on how we are supposed to live our lives today. So there are lessons for us. If there's, a, if, there's a, if there's a Torah portion, then it's got to teach us something. And that's why I've dedicated my life to doing what I do, because what I'm trying to inspire young people to do is to see that there are life lessons in every single word of the Torah, every parsha, every Torah portion that can help us in our lives today. And I didn't know that growing up. And I was astounded when my teachers told me that. And I'm trying to inspire young people. You know, I keep on going back to this Pew study. Whatever the statistics are, it is clear that certainly in America, young Jewish people have not been inspired to keep on learning Torah. And that's why we, you know, you know we're excited for people like Rena that have discovered you know, learning, but not just Rena, Debbie as well. Debbie's also discovered Torah in many ways, you know. So, so where's the lesson uh, that after two years of complaining, there was nothing that happened for 36 years, and then in the 38th year, they complain again. So Rabbi Friend, who was quoting a different rabbi, said that the, the similarity between those two incidents is that it was a time of transition. The first two years, there was a transition from coming out of Egypt and going into the desert. That was a very dramatic and traumatic experience for them. And when you have a traumatic or you know, dramatic transition, you're unsettled, you can't think straight, and very often you'll make mistakes in your thinking. And that's what happened when they came out of Egypt. So what was the transition going on uh, in the 38th year, well, the 38th year, they were getting ready to go into Israel. They were just about to go into Israel. There was going to be another big transition. They were suddenly, instead of being miraculously cared for. Okay, Marty, I see your hand up. I'm going to take yeah. your question in a minute. Just Okay. Just okay. Let me just finish my thought, then I'll take your question. So they're going into Israel. There's a dramatic transition from this miraculous, perfect, utopian life where nobody complained where the manna was coming from heaven, they didn't have to, you know, their clothes were clean, they didn't get worn out, you know, everything, you know, was taken care of. Now they were going to go into Israel where they would have to plant wheat, 
and grow crops and build houses and do all kinds of things that they hadn't done before. It was a time of transition and they, and they, and they started complaining. So, you know, a, a college student who's going to college, that's a massive transition time. That's a time when they're leaving, you know, 17, 18 years of being taken care of day and night by their parents, hopefully, where everything, you know, they, they, they don't have to make a living, they don't have to earn anything, you know, uh, and they don't, have, I mean, they have to make decisions, you know, they, you know, they have to work hard in school, sometimes transition from middle school to, you know, to high school is a, is a transition, but to go to university, and especially to go to university out of town, is a big transition, so the lesson for students and the lesson really for, you know, for example, me and my wife now are empty nesters. That's also transition time. When someone gets married, that's a big transition time. When someone has a child, that's a big transition time. So the message is be careful of times of transition. When you have a time of transition, your mind is not going to be settled. You're not going to be able to think straight. You might make decisions that you later regret so what's probably a good idea is to speak to someone that uh, you can trust and someone who's gone through experiences like you're going through that can give you advice. And that's a lesson. That's a great, great lesson for, for anyone. In fact, I would say, I would say that what we're doing right now, the entire planet is going through a transition. You know, we went through a big transition going into the pandemic and there were a lot of decisions that were made and we can, you know, we'll probably be analyzing and discussing it for decades to see, did we make the right decisions on a national, international, personal, you know, city level? Everyone's going to have their opinion. Uh, but now we're making another transition. We can talk all we want about what happened in the past, but the transition we're making now back into some kind of normalcy is also a transition, uh, and and we have to be very careful that we don't make bad decisions. And that could include, just as an example, if let's just say there's someone who decides not to get vaccinated, or let's say there was someone that tells you that uh, you know they uh, uh, refuse to, they they're going to wear a mask even indoors, even though they're vaccinated there's very big temptation to start judging people and start making, uh, you know, decisions based on, you know, what we've done compared to what other people have done. And if we've learned anything in Jewish history, it's that when we are divided and when we, and when we argue with each other, then we're very vulnerable. And we had a very vulnerable time in Israel. We just came out of a, another war. Um, there's a new government now in Israel. So, the message to each of us on an individual level and also on a personal level, I mean, on an individual and a national level, is to beware of transitions, to look for advice from those who are more wise than us, and hopefully we won't, uh, you know, regret any decisions we make. Okay, so that's 328. Marty, you had a question. I actually have two questions. Okay, fantastic. Uh, muted? No, can you I can hear you fine. You referenced the fact that it was year 38 and they knew they were going into Israel or Jewish yes. or whatever, but they didn't know it was year 30. It could have been more than more than two years, correct? They, they didn't know they were going to, that 40 was a finite number, did they? No, they were told. They were told because the spies went for 40 days that in response, they were going to wander in the desert for 40 years. So they knew it was 40 years. They knew exactly when they were going. In. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, in fact, I think there's a midrash that says that, you know, like every Tisha B'Av, uh, they used to dig graves, and all everyone used to go to sleep in a grave. Oh. And, and then whoever woke up the next day realized that they'd been given another year of life, and if those didn't wake up, those were buried in the place that they slept. And there was one year they all went to sleep and they all woke up the next day. So then they all knew that they, this was, this was, they were going into Israel soon. Again, it's a midrash here. Take it for, you know, what the message is. Okay. What was your second question, Marty? And then. 
when was the last time you saw your mom? Uh, that is a fantastic question. I think the last time I saw her was at our son's wedding. Oh, and how long ago was that? That was uh, almost two years ago. Okay. No, it's actually more than two years ago. So my next question is, when are you going to go see her? Well, um, what I would love to do if our... Or have her come out to see you. Without, with, if if the country to the north of us... Oh, yeah, they're, they're very restricted. I forgot about that. Uh, if the country to the north of us yeah, you know, would, would get with the program and, and you know, follow the lead of this country, then I actually have a wedding of one of our students at, in the middle of July in Toronto, which is where my mother lives. So I would love to... Um, and then uh, I'm hoping that uh, there'll be more Simchas in our family and that uh, she'll have an opportunity to come to us also. So that's a, those are two very good questions. I don't have the answer, unfortunately. I don't, no, I don't have yeah. the answers either. Right. Yeah, Canada's tough. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, right now, America is like the promised land. You know, my, my mother's waiting to come to, to America. Um, anyway, Mom, did you have any questions? Or Debbie, do you have any comments or thoughts from what we just said? Sure. Um, so I was reading the uh, <clears throat> you know, these last few weeks of tour portions. And at the same time, our our team, our whole organization at work is going through all these transitions and the person who was our vice president left the company kind of suddenly and now we have someone new and he took a, <clears throat> he took a, a survey of everyone. How are we feeling? Are, do we, how much trust do we have in the leadership team? How much do we feel we understand our roles? All these different things. And, you know, it, all the scores were super low, even though this person is actually quite a good leader. The person has stepped in as interim. And I think it gave me... Um, just reading what was in the Torah made me think, you know, I mean, this guy is not Moses, but he is sincerely trying very hard. It's super easy to accuse him of doing something wrong or, or whatever, or gossiping behind his back. You know, oh, I don't think they're really doing this really well. And I just realized, you know, I think it's important to try to be supportive of the person that's the leader, unless you think you really can do it better or you have some other solution. And um, so it was very timely to 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 read through that, and uh, I, I think the the messages from Korah kind of stuck with me a little more because it's so vivid, you know, the bad things right. happened. But this one, I'm trying to understand a little bit more, um, it, it, especially kind of grappling with this idea of sort of like is the poison also the cure, and and so on with with this this serpent and then the the snake that's coiled around the staff. Right. I mean, it's quite interesting. Vaccinations typically are taken from the virus itself, and they use that right. to, you know, this. And I think the vaccinations that they made were not in this case, but that's normally what they are. Yeah, that, that's um, right. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I was just thinking, Debbie, because I remember we did that class with the Juglers. And, oh, I, yeah. and I feel I would, I've been meaning to actually contact you. Maybe I'll, I'll speak to you after the recording, but I'd, I'd love sure. to do that again. And mm. I'd love to just explore ways of, of doing that on a more regular basis for those who are interested. You know, yes. one thing I think, you know, we also learn as we go through life is that we can't really change the world. We, we can't even change so much, like you're saying, even the, the group that you're working with. You would love to tell them, you know, there's this great program called Clean Speech. And if you would just read the stuff, and yeah. even if you have, you know, complaints, but you'll say them in response, whatever it is, you, you might not be able to change everyone. Um, but certain people you can change. And, and the first person you can change is yourself. Right. You know, yeah. and that's hard enough. You know, so uh, maybe we'll. Uh, I, unfortunately, I've got. I have to. I've got a hard stop at you know at four o'clock, but maybe yeah. maybe we can talk a little bit just beforehand. Um, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read uh, show you three books if you don't. Mom, do you have any th comments or questions about 
Chukas, uh, the red heifer. You know, there was uh, the red heifer itself is a very interesting animal. It has to be completely red. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen any red cows around, but they're not very common. But it can't even have a single black hair. And so uh, there are stories that have come out over the years of a farmer, not necessarily even a Jewish farmer, who knows about the red heifer and raises a cow and finds that it's completely uh, red. And there's one other condition about this red heifer is that it cannot do any work. It could not have even carried a tiny little baby on its back. It's got to be completely unworked. Again, there's all kinds of rules you have to, I'll, I'll, I'll show you where you can find out about them in a moment. But the point is, why are people looking for a red heifer now? There's no temple. We know, you know, we don't, uh, we're not doing any purifications. In, uh, and basically every single person today has got this ritual impurity because if you, it's not just if you touch someone who, who died, but if you touch someone else who touched someone who died, then you get that same level of impurity. So uh, any doctor that touched a dead person, if he, anybody he then touched, you know, and they touched and they touch it, you know, it becomes like a virus, you know, so there's, so now we do today, even though everybody's ritually impure, we do do certain things. Like, for example, I don't know if you know this, that Kohanim do, are not allowed to go into a cemetery. They're not allowed to go into a, into a hospital if there's a, dead, if there's a dead person there. That's why I don't think you find too many religious uh, Kohanim who become doctors. Because if, I mean, there are there is a there's a hospital in Jerusalem uh, called um, this. I know there's Adassa, but there's another one. Oh, it could be Ichilov. No, the one in Jerusalem. There's two big hospitals. Um, I've just forgotten, but they have they have a like a, a rabbinic staff that deals with all kinds of halakhic issues. So they might even have, you know, like certain things that prevent this ritual impurity from going between floors, you know, you know, or things like this. It's very, very interesting. So why do we do that? Why do we keep kwanim, even though they're all ritually impure and there's no red heifer? The answer is we don't want to forget these laws. We don't want to, we don't want to lose all that memory so, because we believe the temple is going to be built tomorrow. You know, that any day now the Mashiach is going to come, he's going to rebuild the temple. We're all going to pack up and we're going to leave. We're going to get on the next plane. We're going to all fly to Israel. We're going to spend the rest of our lives in Israel. And then we're going to get the red heifer and we're going to burn it. And we're going to take the ashes and mix it in this spring water and dip it in the hyssop. And we're going to all get sprinkled so we can be richly, richly pure and we can bring offerings at the temple. And, you know, that's why people do today. That's also the reason, by the way, why... We wash our hands um, when we eat bread. Uh, we wash our hands twice. It's very, very, very interesting, uh, but also very confusing. There's a lot about the red heifer that makes no no sense at all, you know. But we have to. I'll tell you one other thing in a moment. Um, any other any other thoughts? I'm going to share. Uh, Mom, any questions? Marty, any other questions? I just find that the punishments yes. are very harsh. That's... And, and it's sad that they're not given a second chance, like Moshe did what he did, yes. out of maybe it was just instinct. So to ban him from entering Israel is to me terrible. Right. So, it, and all the others, like the, the earth split open and Korach and all his and all his followers yes. up, and Aaron's sons because they did something. Yes. So to me, it's, it's inhumane. 
actually. Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, mom, the Torah does not sugarcoat anything. You know, it doesn't. You read histories of other nations, and uh, they'll gloss over, you know, certain things and and they'll they'll make their leaders to be perfect and you know uh, that they never ever made a mistake the, the torah is not like that but remember remember that the torah the torah is not a simple document this is this is the word of of god that he told moshe write these words down because this is going to be something to teach all of humanity for the rest of time, for all time. So the first thing we have to know is that anything that we read, we can't you know, fully understand just from a surface level. And mom, if you have these questions, then you can be sure that almost everybody that reads the Torah has the same questions. This question that you're asking can I tell you, not only do lots of very smart people, but Moses himself, Moshe Rabbeinu, asked Hashem this question himself. He said, why, why do uh, righteous people suffer? Why do good things happen to bad people? And the angels asked, even the angels asked Hashem, and Hashem said, if you continue to, you know, to question me, I will return the world to you know, what it was in the beginning. Now, what he was saying was, this we have to remember, and I think this is one of the, uh, when I spoke, uh, said in the beginning, that, that unfortunately we're losing so many Jewish people in this country. And a lot of it is because uh, we think on a very superficial level that this God of ours is a very angry, you know, vengeful God that just takes out his anger on you know these weak harm, you know helpless people and you know christianity comes along and says that god loves you well they got it from us we're the ones that god loves us so much that's why he gave us the world and he gave us so many things you know the the classic example the classic example is a mother with a child if a mother takes a child to get a vaccination and the child's got no idea why they've been vaccinated, but they get suddenly you know, grabbed by the mother and held down while this man with a needle jabs, you know, the baby in, you know, in the arm and the baby screaming in agony. There's no way the mother can explain what's going on um, until the child gets older. So the answer is that God loves us so much. It gives us so much. I mean, the fact that we've survived this pandemic, the fact that we are alive in the world today, I just uh, was talking to someone today even that uh, there's a great, great rabbi, very holy person who gives blessings to all. He's got this disease, I think it might be ALS, where he can't move his limbs and he's still got his mind, but he, he could, he, for a while, he could only use his eyes to communicate. Now he can't even do that. You know, now instead of thinking, you know, that's a terrible thing. And, you know, why did God do that? What we should be doing is we should be, I mean, how many times a day do you thank God that your eyes work, that your hand works, that your mouth works, that your brain works, that your heart works? You know, every single thing that works, not just that, that the world keeps on turning and the sun rises every morning. And, you know, there's uh, not wars that are going on every day, all day, and not overrunning every city in the world, because that's what people would want to do. You know, it's only, you know, and forget about just the Jewish people. We There's so much to be grateful for. In fact, I every morning when I wake up, I write down three or four things that I'm grateful for. And I don't write down the same things. And I try to find things that are sometimes a little bit, you know, unusual. And very often it's when I see someone that uh, something has happened to them or, you know, I would, I would you know, something worked out and I'm just very grateful that Hashem loves me as, you know, it's so much that he's given me so much. So when you start off that way, when you start off that, look, the mother loves the child unconditionally, will do absolutely everything to protect and 
and nurture this child. But sometimes the mother will do something to the child. The child just doesn't understand. That seems to be very, you know, uh, harmful. A child, what means if a child, go, you know, uh, matures and develops and uh, becomes a drug addict and the mother takes the drug addict and sends him to a rehab where he's deprived of everything. So now only a fool would say that, well, the mother doesn't love the child and why doesn't she just let him do whatever he wants to do? The, child, the mother loves the child more than the child loves himself. You know, that's what, we, that's what we have to think. The pain that Hashem feels for not letting Moshe, in fact, next, in a couple of weeks, we're going to read that, that Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to get into Israel. He said, what a, and he didn't want to go into Israel to go, you know, to sit on the beach in Tel Aviv. You know, that's not why he went. He wanted to go there because he wanted to do mitzvahs. He wanted to learn Torah. He wanted to do all the things that he taught all the people about. And Hashem said, told him to stop praying. Because he knew that if he kept on praying, then God would have to let him in. And in his infinite wisdom, he knew that Moshe Rabbeinu could not go in. That was just part of God's ultimate plan. You know, um, I'm just about to go on at four o'clock. You know, I'm part of uh, this organization called Olami. And uh, uh, Olami has a, uh, they just hired an education person. Uh, and they did a survey of all the students all around the country. About a thousand students responded. What is the one topic they want to know more than anything else in the world? And the number one topic is what's the purpose of life? What are we doing here? What are we, why did God create the world? Why did he put us here for? And most Jews don't know the answer to that question. They don't know. And they have to be taught. And that's what they, that's what they want to learn. Their parents didn't teach them. They didn't learn at school. They're certainly not teaching it at university that they're paying lots and lots of money for. So they come to places like Jet to find out what's the purpose of life. When you find out what the purpose of life is, and you find out that there is a God in the world that loves us and he gave us the Torah to live our life. Mom, if you were to think about it, you know, we haven't really kept up our side of the bargain. You know, um, God says, if you keep the Torah, then things are going to be great. If you don't keep the Torah, then things are not going to be great. Not because I'm punishing you, because it's like uh, an owner's manual. Just like if you, if you, drive a car and they say put in this kind of fuel into your car if you don't put that kind of fuel in the car and you don't drive the way you're supposed to then bad things are going to happen so if you have to look at the entire jewish people even even what's going on in israel and i'm not taking any sides politically you know at all you know but we're supposed to be an example to the rest of the world of how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to interact with each other. And I can't, I can't say that we are doing that right now, you know, the way we deal with each other. So I would say that, you know, God has been very patient with us, you know, for thousands of years. And he said, you know, all I'm looking for is for you. It's like, you know what? It's like, it's like imagine if a mother comes to a child and says, I want you to eat ice cream. And I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you money if you eat ice cream. So the kid loves eating ice cream. And not only does the kid love eating ice cream, but now the kid's getting paid to eat ice cream. That's what we have to think of the Torah as. We, we shouldn't think of the Torah as like, there's this rule and that rule and that we can't do and that we can't do. And I wish I could just sit on the beach, you know, in Tel Aviv or, you know, in, uh, you know, down downtown Chicago and just they have no worries in the world. That's not what we're here for. That's not what the purpose of our life is. God gave us a purpose. And he said, if you do this, it's going to be worth much, much more than any ice cream that, or anything else that you can imagine, you know? So um, that's a long, long, long answer to your question. It's a very, very, very good question, mom. And believe me, every single Jew who reads the Torah asks this question, like, what's going on? Just like that first person said, they're so depressed. Why, you know, all these terrible things that are happening to the Jewish people, you know, um, why did they do those things? 
And why did God punish them so much? So the answer is learn the Torah. Now I'm very, I'm speaking a little bit to the, like, what do they say? Um, uh, preaching to the choir. Right. You know, you, you are taking time on a Wednesday afternoon while other people are on the beach in Tel Aviv and Lake Michigan, and you're taking off time to learn Torah. So I should be praising you. And, uh, and I do. And there should be more people who learn Torah. Uh, but we can't, we certainly can't change what happened in the past. We can only change what's going to happen in the future. And, and the way we do that is we, uh, we read the Torah and ask lots and lots of questions. I'll, Mom, I will tell you that these questions that you're asking are good questions, but I hope next year you'll ask different questions. You know, well, I'm, I'm just hoping that every incident yes. that has happened that that is harsh and that is difficult to understand will have some deeper meaning. And um, that could be revealed to us and we would feel a lot better. But it, I can't, I can't um, deny the fact that it worries me, that I, I can't believe, yeah. I can't believe that such, such a punishment for even that, that horrible incident about a woman being unfaithful and has to swallow that stuff. Yes, that's right. No stomach. Yeah, to me that, that is that is cruel, and she should be chastised, obviously, but she should have some kind of leeway that she could explain herself, or she needs rehabilitation. But to do that, which is so cruel upsets me you know i don't know how anybody else feels well that is mom so the answer is you should feel that way because you're compassionate and you've got a jewish heart and you should feel you shouldn't just read this and say oh you know that's great that's like one of these horror movies and you know i love this this gory stuff obviously that's exactly what you what instead what you should say is you know what i don't understand this God is such a loving God. He's given me so much. He's given me health. He's given me children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And there's so much great, good things. The world is a beautiful, you know, have you ever stopped and thought for a second? Do you know, now just again, <coughs> imagine that you believe that God created the world and he runs the world. Just imagine that for a moment. Do you know that there is enough food in the world to feed everyone many times over? There's never been a shortage of food in the world. There have been, there have been countries that will not, you know, been at war and they'll prevent food from coming. But there's never a shortage of food in the world. <coughs> and there never will be. That is an absolute miracle. Why, why should it be that way? There's no other plan. They're trying to find, you know, they're trying to find life on Mars and they're trying to, we're waiting to hear this report about, you know, UFOs and if there really are UFOs. But it doesn't seem that there's life on any other planet. But the fact that we have life on this planet <coughs> and that we get fed every day and not just, you know, we don't get fed grass. We're not like cows that we eat grass every day. We have beautiful fruits and vegetables that we can cook and eat. And <coughs> sorry. So. What we should do is we should say, just like Moshe said, and just like all the rabbis say, this does not make sense, and therefore I'm going to study it. Now, for example, the whole story about the whole story about um, the unfaithful woman is a whole volume in the Talmud, and what you'll find there is that it was very, very rare, very unusual. <clears throat> for this to occur. She had to absolutely deny it. And there were all kinds of ways that she was encouraged to, to get out of this punishment. Very, and in fact, I don't even know if it ever took place, but the Torah is explaining how, and 
I mean, we don't want to go back and look. We'll have to wait till next year till we come to that portion uh, to talk about that again. But the point is that we should be that we've got the answers. The, the some of the answers we don't have, but there's so many commentaries. The Torah is almost saying to us, Mom. The Torah is almost saying to us in this week's Torah portion, especially that on a first at first glance, this whole thing does not make sense. The red heifer doesn't make sense. The striking of the rock doesn't make sense. The snakes and the plague doesn't make sense. It does not make sense from beginning to end. So what are you going to do? We Jews for thousands and thousands of years, why is it that we have maintained our faith and through all the difficulties and challenges throughout history, we've stayed faithful to the Torah? Because we've got great rabbis who've taught us to look a little bit below the surface and see that there are lessons to be learned and that we accept uh, the fact that it's God that created the world and he gave us the Torah and there's some and there's deep meanings behind everything. Um, and as, as, as cruel as it looks, we are the most compassionate people in the world. We've got the most compassionate moral army in the world. We, we do things that, you know, we help the rest of the world. We brought so much to the world. So there's got to be much, much more to it. And there is. You know, it's like anything with any person. You can't judge anyone by just by the cover. You have to, you have to delve deeper. Okay. I'm going to apologize and, and jump off. Debbie, our time has run out. I'm going to give you a call sometime to talk about the jugglers and how we can get them back on track. Because now that you're telling me that you're, you're – I mean, we don't want to speak lots and horror about anyone, but we got, we, it seems like there's a need for clean speech at Google. Ah, well, everywhere I think so. Google as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for a very interesting yeah. discussion. Yeah, thank you for bringing this out of me. You know what? I come into this class. I don't always know what I'm going to say, but you bring out the best of me. Marty, thank you again. And uh, we'll see. Yeah. Now, listen, oh, let me just stop the recording. Okay, so I'm going to wish you all a good Shabbos. And, but let me just stop the recording.